Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. I am joined, as always, by my best friend, Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr. Dow. Hello, Mr. Grayson. And we are recording this podcast uh, immediately after the Arsenal's 2-1 win over Rapid Vienna in the Europa League. So uh, a bit of a, a bit of a novelty, this one, for us, because we, we don't normally do a post-match review of games, but we're going to try and do that today. So... I guess the only place to start is, uh, Andre, what did you make of that? Um, well, I've only just recovered from the excitement, uh, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, Tom. What a thriller minute. There's a lot to talk about here, isn't there? Um, <laughs> let's just go back. Let's start with great win. Uh, clearly, well, so we hear it's set to be by far the toughest uh, game we would have had in the group stages of this particular Europa League. Um but I have to go back to the starting lineup. I was shocked to see such a strong team, despite what I've just said, and supposedly it being the toughest lineup. The Europa League, one of the best things about it, I think, has been the fact we've had youngsters, and that's actually made it a lot more fun. But watching our first team toil away against Rapid Vienna was concerning, but mainly boring. <laughs> It was very boring and I can't pretend that I enjoyed almost any of it, actually. Um, going back to what you just said about, about how strong that lineup was. I remember, um, was it, would it, yeah, it would have been last last year when we played Frankfurt away. Was, mm-hmm. was that last year? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. And we played, okay, it was a bit of a mixture because I remember Aubameyang started that game, but it was still a bunch of youngsters that played and we performed a lot better on that day than we did tonight. Mm. Um, so I was, I was surprised because I thought players like uh, Reese Nelson and Joe Willock would probably get, get opportunities from the start. Um, I wasn't that surprised to see Thomas Partey play because I thought even, even if he's going to play on Sunday, I think he probably needed 90 minutes just to get up to speed with Arsenal. Um, and he was probably one of the only the real positives of tonight because uh, not only did he get 90 minutes under his belt, but he also looked uh, like the, the sort of player that we thought we were going get, to get. OK, it's only against Rapid Vienna in Europa League, but uh, real positive signs from him. Yeah, I thought he was actually head and shoulders above everyone on the pitch. I thought it was a bit too easy for him at times. I think he was walking around that pitch going, last season, my last game in Europe that I remember... Uh, that was normal was at Anfield where I dominated the whole thing against the English champions. And now here I am in Austria watching my teammates struggle <laughs> against <laughs> against this <laughs> this team that isn't fit to lace my boots. Um, I thought he had that swagger and attitude the whole time, to be honest. And I, I just want to touch on that comment you just said, this team that aren't fit to lace my boots. Um, this team that have a player on loan from Barnsley. <laughs> Hang on. Let me tell you about Barnsley. Barnsley stayed <laughs> up by the skin of their teeth and Gerhard Struber, their manager, was uh, painfully plucked from Barnsley into the MLS, um, which is appalling. And it's probably decisions like letting whoever that was they let go on loan out as to why. What am I talking about? I do not know. I, I just think that does sum it up. I, I actually hate the Europa League. I hate it. Um, and I it's feel it's like, so unenjoyable. I feel like the reason I hate it so much, it's everything. It's from the sponsors of second tier. The refs are 15th tier. Honestly, if that ref was in League 2 
it would be too high a standard. I he was so bad. And the thing is, when you watch the Europa League, you want that fun and that entertainment. When you have someone as pernickety as that, he booked Lacazette for not really complaining. He was sort of asking a question. He booked him. And Ketia took a shot, as every player has done. Uh, and I think only two players in the history of football have been booked. Um, one was in Ketia tonight, and the other was Van Persie at the New Camp. Um, <laughs> I knew that was going. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, I just don't know what to say. My biggest bright spark, other than party, was I do think Hector Bellerin does look him at his old self, and what a threat he can be uh, with the timing of his runs and his 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 calmness in the final third. And of course, I think it was great that Aubameyang got a goal. Uh, pretty hard to find any, any other positives. Have, have you got any? The only other positive I would have is I, I again, I thought Gabriel played mm. quite well. And every time I see him, I just think we've got a fantastic player for a real, really fantastic price because he just seems to get better and better. And he looks so calm and composed in possession of the ball. Um, so dominating in the air, uh, and I, th- I think he is a player that could be the mainstay of the Arsenal defence for years to come because he, he really, really does look phenomenal. Yeah, I have to agree. He was he was excellent, and I do think if you look at him and Party, you can see that the dealings look a lot more promising than perhaps they have for quite a while. Um, I think one of the things I know there was an error about playing out from the back. That's going to happen eventually. I think, you know, at what point do I start holding my hands up and go, I said I didn't care about which keeper stayed. And with every passing game, I'm I'm missing Martinez a bit more. And I'm just hoping Leno can iron this out because that was quite an error. And the way we play out from the back, anything that changes your confidence is alarming. It really is. And what's concerning about Leno is that Okay, got called out for the goal, but there were two other occasions where he very nearly got caught out with very similar pieces of play. I, admittedly, they came after the mistake, so you could maybe factor that in. But I think what you what you said about the whole Martinez thing, I don't I don't think it matters how long Leno is in goal for Arsenal. That comparison is still going to happen every single time he makes a mistake, mm. and I don't think that's healthy for anyone. So it's really frustrating that it keeps coming up, but. When Leno's performances are like that, it's very, very difficult not to think about Emmy Martinez and it would he have made those mistakes. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I know what I was going to ask you, actually. Do you, do you think it's any sort of factor, the fact that there was um, there were some, some fans in the stadium tonight? Do you think that was a factor in that performance at all? I mean, wasn't it great, first of all? Uh, I thought it was uh, the hostility, you forget. Um, maybe, yeah, actually, it's a really good point. I hadn't actually made that connection. I did feel that the crowd did a, a pretty good job of making it quite hostile, actually, considering I don't know how many there were. Do you? Do you? Was it 5,000? I, th- I think they said there were 3,000 in 3, there. So 000. they made quite quite a noise for 3,000 of them. Yeah, they did. Um, and, and they were obviously all, sp- all spread out. Uh, but yeah, I just thought maybe maybe because that is essentially a really really different different scenario than the players would have been used to from the, the past six or seven months. Um, that maybe that might have been a factor in in why we maybe started as slowly as we did. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Actually, I mean, I I did wonder whether there'd be any impact, and then I sort of thought, well, surely not, because they must still the majority of these players have played their whole careers with 
loads more fans than this, but maybe it did, especially with playing out from the back. But also, I think the whole issue with the Europa League, uh, and, and again, I just think it's it's such a... We were so spoilt with the Champions League that now, what is this, our fourth season of the Europa League? Um, yeah. You sort of forget the group stages were quite dull in the Champions League. Um, <laughs> in reality, you sort of went, you expected to win all your home games against, even against the toughest opposition. You'd probably lose one in Eastern Europe, uh, draw the other to draw one and have a fantastic, exciting away win in another and you're through top. So this is just so dull. And I, Got to say, I do think as players, you probably don't get up for it in the same way. I don't think you go with an abundance of excitement. I think let's just get through this. We can win at a canter. I felt like we turned it on for five minutes tonight and we we won because of that five minute spell Um, as well. Because you don't really have many players out there, I think, who are looking to impress either. Because most of them know they're starting, know they're going to have minutes you know, who on that pitch tonight had something to prove or could show something different other than party? The only the only player I can think that is really trying to force himself in was probably Kalasinac, who might think he's got an outside chance of, of forcing his way in. But someone like Cedric knows that if Bellerin's fit, he's not going to play. Um, if Bellerin's not fit in the league, then you, there's a fair chance Maitland-Niles comes in for, for him. So... Someone like him, even, you don't really expect to be forcing his way into that starting eleven. No, no. I mean, look, Elneny probably knows what Elneny's going to be. Um, I, I just think, ultimately, and this is really what I wanted to get into, because I feel like there's not too much more to say about the game, really, but, but parts will drop into this. Are we just going to have to accept that a Mikel Arteta Arsenal might not be that fun? Or do you think he's still so concerned or or, or or pleased with how things are going defensively that he thinks this shape ultimately is the answer more than anything else. I'm glad you brought that up actually because my overriding feeling about that game was that okay I, I don't want to get too ahead of myself with any opinion because it was just a Europa League game and as you say you can question how much players really get themselves up for that. But what my takeaway was is that it's it's not particularly fun or enjoyable watching Arsenal anymore. And I find myself bored a lot of the times. And a lot of the times watching Arsenal, it just feels like a chore. Like the first hour of that game felt like hard work to watch. And I'm struggling to recall many games where I thought, oh, wow, that was just so much fun watching that. <laughs> so it's it's frustrating, but I think... I think we are so limited by the players still. Like I, it's, I still think this is a long way away from the team that Mikel Arteta wants. And until we address the fact that we have so little creativity, we're, we're going to be stuck with this brand of football for for quite some time. I think so. I think the next couple transfer windows are going to be crucial to to address that creativity problem. But at the moment, I think this is this is what it's going to be for for the foreseeable future. But do you think that ultimately, I mean, I think I made a prediction that we won't score more than three in a game this season, uh, nor we concede more than three, is what I said. And I remember thinking in my head when I said that, except for the Europa League, where we'll go and try something out. If against Dundalk, 
we set up with five at the back, I think that is the single game that I go, okay, this is what he really does want. Because if he isn't going to try and experiment against a, a an Irish outfit that, again, you know, Vienna, okay, they've got some pedigree, I believe. Um, but Dundalk are a very low-ranking side, and surely we might start to see something different, uh, just formation-wise, because I, I just think it's a bit flat. I, I don't understand why we can't get a Bamiyang through the middle, and I, I don't think having him there and what we're trying to do with a false nine is working at all. It really isn't offensively. And I don't think moving a Bamiyang there and having Saka further up and having a third midfielder to move across changes the formation that much, but gets more players in the right place. And I don't know if he's trying to be too clever at the moment. It's really hard to knock him because every time we've gone to play a back four, we have looked so open. Um, And I don't think party fixes all those ills. But like you just said, it's boring. It really is. It's dull. Um, And I think just touching on this and and sort of dipping into the the City game a little bit. I know Willian as a false nine. I'm I'm actually up for experimentation in big games. I don't think it's I'm up for anything that might surprise them. But the fact we couldn't break out that funk in the last 20, that's my big concern, really, I suppose. Yeah, I think there there needs to be a bit more balance between this cautious approach and being able to adapt your system so that when you need to chase a goal, you can. Because as you say, against City, we really didn't look like we were remotely interested in, in changing things up at all. We Every substitution that Arteta made was a like-for-like replacement and there wasn't much effort to really change things. Uh, I do think that, unfortunately, well, I, I'm going to go back to when we played Manchester City after the after the lockdown, actually, because it was that game that Arteta tried to play a back four. And obviously, we ended up losing 3-0 and it was a bit of a disaster for David Luiz. And I still think that the players that he trusts, I don't think he can trust in that formation of, of going back to a back four. So... I still think that's a big factor. Yeah, you just have to wonder whether Holding's injury on Saturday was a look at that. But, you know, I just don't think it was. But what I would say is if teams sort of button up that right, you know, our left-hand side, their right, we don't have much else. And Pepe looks at a very isolated figure, sort of having to beat two or three players. And this is now... I think we've got enough evidence now seeing an Arteta team what it's like. And it, I just think, long and short of it, it's just we might get loads more results and we probably will, but it's just not going to be that fun. I don't think swashbuckling isn't going to be a word that comes in. It's just we got so excited by what the changes he made against Sheffield United. And I just really hope that against Leicester we see something a bit more promising. But I, I actually looked at our fixtures. Uh, the next sort of five or six um, before doing this. Forget Forgetting the Europa League ones. Uh, so he's probably not going to break out of it against Leicester. He definitely won't away to Man U. If Aston Villa are still flying, he won't change it then either. Um, <laughs> I think we've then got Wolves and Spurs. They're not going to be changed either. And you sort of go down the league and you're like, well, other than Fulham and maybe West Brom. Yeah, who do you change it against? 
Exactly. And if you don't start changing it in Europa League games when you've got a chance and you decide to play a lot of first teamers, then I'm a little bit concerned is all is all I'm sort of thinking, really. Do you think it's a little bit that he doesn't want to like, particularly in games like tonight where you think, oh, he could he could have experimented. Do you think maybe he's kind of thinking that these players are not capable of taking two different approaches on board at the same time? The thing is, do you not think the players are playing two roles anyway? I mean, they, they, it must be... Can you imagine being... Um, I mean, in fairness, um, I, I think Kolasinac can't do it the way Maitland-Niles does. Uh, but can you imagine being Saka, Kolasinac, Maitland-Niles, down that left? You've got to be in four different places at once. So You've got to be very... I think you've got to be very intelligent as well because to understand the process and the tactics that Arteta wants those wide players to, to to implement into their game, it must be a nightmare as a player to take on board and to try, like you say, to sort of dominate three or four different positions at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, and that's it. And, you know, I look at even if you flip to the other side of the pitch, if you look at what El Nenny did today, he's dropping in, he's out, he's over on the left. So I don't think having two formations in their head will be the problem, is, is sort of the, <laughs> the long the and short away. of it. Yeah, I think it's that they've got so much going on. But, I mean, who do you... How, how do you change it? Do you think if we have three midfielders and we have that protection that opens things up? Do you think it's as simple as that? Or do you think there's something more perhaps we're all missing? I, d- I don't know, really. I mean, I, I still think, like, like you've said, I, it would be lovely to see Aubameyang get a run down the middle. Um, as I, I think then pushing Saka forward then then just gives you a bit more of an attacking threat. Um, but I, d- I really don't know. I, I think I said in a text to you that, I, I, I was hoping that with party arriving that we might lean more towards a four three three, particularly potentially with maybe Ainsley Maitland Niles being deployed as a as a central midfielder because that allows you to have that transition between formations still. But I, I, I don't I don't know. I think it's it's too early with uh, Thomas Party being in the mix to to really think about that. Uh, but. I'd, I'd still love to see us try to do something a bit different that, that makes us more of an attacking threat because we we need to figure out a way of scoring goals and creating chances and we need to do it really, really quickly. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. Because you can't go on like this for a season. But the only thing I was wondering, and because the man is everywhere at the moment, do you think we were just really spoiled with Wenger and this is actually what a lot of teams look like who are in this position trying to go to the next level is sort of they become really stable and difficult to play against and difficult to beat do you you know is there a chance that we're just seeing the other side of what success could look like like that and we're, we're just think, being a bit <laughs> selfish or stuff whatever no, I, I, I think so um I, I was thinking in the middle of that game how I, I was sort of longing for the days of uh, getting in the top four every season, Champions League football, uh, not challenging for the title, but playing fantastic football. And what annoyed me more than anything else tonight was um, the co-commentator. I can't remember her name. Is it Karen, Karen Kearney? Karen Kearney. Oh, no. Go uh, on. Uh, right. I, I'm not a fan of her at all. But it's just it, this isn't really a comment about her. It's about the laziness of pundits and commentators anyway, because she said on multiple occasions, oh, Arsenal normally zip the ball around so much quicker than this and play some lovely, lovely football. And I was thinking, 
have you watched Arsenal in the last three or four years? And mm. the amount of pundits that make the same generalisations about essentially referring to the Arsenal way that we've not played in so long. Mm. And it infuriates me because if you, it takes to, to watch maybe three or four Arsenal games to realise that isn't a hallmark and a staple of Arsenal Football Club anymore. That's not how Arsenal play. And I, I, don't, know why, I don't know why that irritates me so much, uh, but it really, really does. And I, I wish pundits would be a bit more aware of where Arsenal are at the moment. Yeah, I know what you mean, because also it's a bit like um, set pieces. We've actually been really successful scoring from corners and free kicks, as we evidenced uh, today, for quite a number of seasons. Yeah. And we've been top, I think we were top two, three seasons ago of uh, headed goals. And all anyone talked about was our issues in the air. And it's that kind of stuff. If you haven't... So, yes, it does annoy me terribly. And, and I found that odd. Um, I think she might have a, you know, I think the loving in the commentary box and the punditry team for Thomas Party was a bit OTT. <laughs> it was over the top. It really was. <laughs> I, I don't know whether I, it was a joke or whether I just saw before I came on, I went on Twitter, apparently Ho- Owen Hargreaves called it the best debut he's ever seen. And, Jeez, uh, really? <laughs> and uh, I have to say, I was impressed by party, but not nearly as much as everyone else uh, at BT seemed to be. But you know what? We very rarely get loved by pundits and uh, alike. So I'm going to take it. But I agree with you. We just haven't been that good for a while. And I just wonder whether as a fan base, we are the hardest ones to flip from that. Because it's not like we played great football and were really successful. We weren't. We played great football, but it felt like that was our comeuppance. And if we were a bit dirtier and a bit uglier we'd win we've I feel like we've gone completely the other way um yeah I feel like we've gone completely the other way and it's quite a a hard thing to get your head around because when you're winning it's hard to complain in in a sense yeah I mean if you if you said to me Arsenal are going to play like this for two or three seasons but you're guaranteed to have a title at the end of it then okay, you know what? I'll, I'll take that sacrifice. <laughs> but, but would, you, would you? Would genuinely? Would you take getting in the Champions League twice, knocked out in the groups uh, for two years, playing like this? I, I, th- I think I would if it meant that we were going to make that progress to getting back to that elite level. Because I, I, I think we're very. It's still going to be so limited in what we can do until we are back uh, at the top table of European football. So I, I think I probably would for two years if that meant that that would be the progress that we made. Mm. What yeah, about I, you? Yeah, I, I would. I, I don't. I loved. I just feel like we've been so spoiled over the years. You know, you only have to go back. Even our less, you know, the the more barren years with Fabregas, Nasri, Dushavin, Van Persie, whoever. We had such wonderful football to watch and perhaps we were just spoiled and City aren't that good to watch at times they're very methodical and machine-like but they win and you do admire it in that respect and maybe that's what our goal is here which could be a bit mundane could feel certain games are quite sterile but to be honest with you if we were thrashing team 6-0 at a canter in a mechanical way I think I'd compartmentalise it but, I, you know, I just feel like we're so far away from all of that. And playing like this, it doesn't feel like that's the answer. That's, I think, where I am ultimately keep coming back to. 
But then we wouldn't concede a 25-yard effort from, I don't know, someone like Manuel Lanzini uh, in the last minute anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a name I pulled out of the air. I plucked it out of nowhere. I I was thinking, I don't know, we wouldn't score an own goal, perhaps. We wouldn't be 3-0 up with 10 minutes to go now and mess it up. That's not the sort of thing a club does anymore. Um, And there's no evidence of that in the league, if anyone... (laughs) <laughs> no, Do there it. definitely isn't. Well, you say, think, especially wouldn't concede to someone who hasn't scored for two years in Manuel Lanzini, for, just for example. Or, or as an example. Like Yannick Vestergaard, you know, you wouldn't throw away leads like that carelessly under Arteta, but, you know, other clubs might. Absolutely. I know I, I can only imagine what it must be like to support a club like that. <laughs> I um, can't. Yeah, yeah. I, I never want to imagine what it'd be like to support a club is, like that. Can I just say, it is terrible that I, I celebrated Lanzini's goal more than either of the goals tonight. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm completely with you on that. Uh, Laura wasn't even in the room when that Lanzini goal went in and I went and got her and said, you need to come and see this. <laughs> Tottenham were 3-0 off and they threw it away and this goal's unbelievable. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I think that was, of all the goals that have happened uh, during lockdown, that was the one I wish fans were there for. Oh, imagine all the West Ham players going into, because what I, I hate Tottenham and I hate their stadium, but what I like about their fan layout is that the away fans are in the corner mm. at, in view. So I, I think that would have been incredible with that going in, with all the players running over to that end. Oh, it, it, like, it gives me chills. The, but also the beautiful silence and the fans, you know, arms and bail missing. Oh, so much to enjoy. It's just, I just feel like <laughs> if we stay defensively sterile, but it does the job and everyone else sort of falls all around us, but scoring all these goals, I can live with it. But the the opposite is, you know, it's really hard watching teams in the league, virtually every team, smashing goals in, except us. Yeah, really, really hard. Really, really hard to watch. Um, I think I'm going to go back to, just to end this 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 point, um, oh, when I started going to Arsenal, uh, when I was sort of seven or eight, uh, I went with uh, a man called Eric, who was one of my dad's close friends. And uh, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But he was always someone that I saw as almost like a like a grandparent, um, mm. even though it wasn't related. But I remember once we went to see Arsenal beat Southampton 1-0 at Highbury. And it was a late, uh, late goal from a corner. And on the way home, I said to Eric, oh, did you, did you enjoy that? And he said to me, I don't go to football to enjoy it. I go to see us win. <laughs> and that that kind of summarises everything at the moment. That I, I get, I guess we have to sort of get on board with uh, Eric's approach to football. <laughs> yeah, all hail Eric. Well, all often, hail Eric. Well, well, do you know what? But though, often you know, it's hard because we have snuck two wins from our home games. We didn't get t- t- torn apart by City or Liverpool. We got the second best defensive record in the league and the two hardest ways out of the way. You'd have killed it's not for all that. bad. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's just hard because you do have to do the mental gymnastics that it's not going to be fun to watch. But I don't think anyone cares when you're winning. And as long as we do, then I'm happy. 
Yeah, um, I think we should probably touch on the the City game because although we have we have mentioned it in passing a couple times so far, uh, we've not really had a chance to look at it in any any great detail. So obviously the Man City game was uh, di- disappointing because we we ended up losing one nil, but. It, it obviously the last time we played away to City, we lost three 0 So it does feel like there's a bit of progress there. Um, now my views of it were were probably that it was a missed opportunity for Arsenal with Kevin De Bruyne being out and potentially Sergio Aguero not really being uh, at full fitness. It did feel like that was a real chance for us to go up there and have a go at them. But I think we saw more of this conservative approach that we've that we've touched on so far. Uh, of not wanting to concede goals. And to be fair, we didn't concede that many chances at Manchester City outside of that 10-minute spell in the first half. But we never really looked like, particularly in the second half, that we were going to take anything away from the game, which was uh, really, really frustrating. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to see what you thought about it, Andre. Yeah, I mean, just going back to what you were saying, if you'd have offered me 1-0 before the game... There's been a lot of times I'd have taken it. I wouldn't hear. I, I actually fancied us to get a point. Um, not more than that. I felt us. we're not really ready to go to City and win, especially with the sort of um, monkey on our back of how many big six away games we haven't won. Oh, and that's doing my head in. Every every time I turn on the radio, that's all they're bloody talking about. Yeah, and we just got to put it to bed, you know, and this season we will. I have no doubt about that. I, I never felt like it was going to be City away that we'd, we'd run riot, for example. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, you look at Leicester and everyone goes, oh, we're comparable to Leicester. Um, and in some ways we are. I mean, they play their quick, older striker who's prolific through the middle. Maybe there's a difference. Um, I, I was pleased with how we played and it sort of felt like three or four small mistakes in the goal. Again, Leno, you know, harsh, really harsh to blame him. But I've seen, you know, you can't parry it into that middle part of the pitch. Uh, sorry, in front of the area. Very frustrating. The City still had a lot of attacking talent, which we largely shut down. They had a 10-minute spell and that was it. And even if they've had players out, we've been ripped apart by teams, you know, up there time and time again, with or without Kevin De Bruyne. Um, like you said, I just felt like there was, we left something on the pitch, and I, I hate feeling like that in big games. You know, if we if we lose, we lose. But you want to at least feel like, oh, if we'd have just taken that, oh, whatever. Like, you know, I think the Saka chance or the Abamyang chance, but they were really not easy chances and a good save. So I think I took from it. I was delighted to not get hammered. But then I realised, am I just still coming out of the mindset of... I just don't want us to go and lose by four, five and six in these away games and anything less than that. I'm happier, which is, I don't know, where we are. It, it kind of shows just how far the, the club had dropped off that, we're, we, that we have that sort of opinion that a 1-0 defeat that isn't seen as a disastrous result. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is frustrating. Um, and I kind of saw on, on social media and within the media... Um, two different mindsets some were of what we're saying about the okay well it was it was an improvement from the last time we played them at the Etihad um, and we're heading in the right direction so the, the 
the gap's been bridged a little bit. Um, and there were others that, that saw that it was just a complete missed opportunity and that we didn't turn up. And I, I think the truth of the matter is probably somewhere in, in the middle of those two. Um, because there was certainly opportunity, uh, there was certainly an opportunity for us to get something from that game. Uh, and there's also certainly a case to be made that the gap between us and Manchester City has decreased. But oh, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to sort of analyse that game much differently than we've already analysed yeah. uh, Arsenal as a whole. Yeah, and I just feel that was it. The, the only comment I have is, I think I said after the Liverpool game, it was great that Klopp was so delighted to beat us. And the same is said of Guardiola. And they changed how they play to play us. And actually, that's very pleasing that we are being taken seriously again. And that's sort of the only positive I could really take out of it that's more than just, oh, well, we didn't get hammered. Da, da, da. I just think teams are sort of, really concerned about playing Arsenal again or at least having to really think about it you know I don't think Leicester will be thinking they're going to do us at a canter they know they've got to come up with something yeah yeah definitely um okay so I think that probably summarizes that game enough the only other big bit of news that's happened this week has been about Meza Ozil and I know you and I are sick to death of talking about Mesut Ozil and, and that conversation uh, keeps coming up time and time again because different things keep happening. But it's been in the news the last couple of days and I don't think it's really possible to talk about Arsenal on a podcast without at least touching on that. So what did you make of everything that's happening with our now infamous German? Mm. Well, we, we suspected he'd get left out of the squad. I think if I just take the club angle before we talk about uh, Meza. So uh, club and team. So just talking about the club, I think I said this to you when I was messaging. I'm so frustrated we didn't get rid of the players that we should have got rid of in this window, which would have freed up the space. If we'd sold Kolasinac, if we'd sold Socrates or Mustafi, he's in. So it's a bit frustrating that someone had to make a decision like this. Um, do the team need creativity? Yes. Is it going to come from Meza Erzil based on the last two or three seasons? No. I understand why we've made this decision because we're thinking about our future. I still think it's a bit of a painful one and actually seeing him tweet today like a fan was quite hard and sad. And I love watching and inform Meza Erzil. But if I take out, take off my rose-tinted glasses that I've backed him since he joined the club, and when people said he was lazy, I've been like, no, he isn't. You don't see the work he does off the ball or how talented he is, and he's worth the admission fee alone. But he, he hasn't been doing that since he signed his new deal, pretty much. And I think for the club, this is a decision we simply had to make. Yeah, I think they did have to make it. And it, it, as much as it's going to be a conversation in the short term, it does draw a line under every single press conference where Mikel Arteta is faced with the, well, why haven't you selected Meza Ozil? So I think that's probably a big part of why that decision has been made. Um, I, I don't think it's strictly a decision that Mikel Arteta has made, like he has said in his press conferences. Um, I think it's very... Uh, magnanimous and bold that Arteta 
feels the need to sort of be the figurehead of Arsenal again and wants to sort of take everything as his responsibility for what happens to the football club. But I think there's obviously things have gone on behind the scenes that we that I'm sure we will never ever be aware of, mm. uh, which are factors. Um, what I did want to sort of address was um, obviously there's sort of two banks of thought about Meza Ozil and about why he's been dropped. Some people have suggested it's because of his comments that he made about about China back in December, um, which I don't think really adds up because uh, he he then proceeded to play I think about 13 or 14 matches. Um, in the Premier League in a row after those comments. So that would seem a bit bizarre to wait three months to, to punish a player, really, for a comment they've made. Um, so I don't think it's really anything to do with that. I think if it is going to be to, to do with anything, it's going to be to do with the finances behind the scenes. And I've read in multiple places that potentially Arsenal are saving up to £100,000 a week um, in bonuses by not selecting Meza Ozil. So it, it might be something to do with that. Or it might just be what Mikel Arteta says that he just doesn't fit into what he wants, and that's why he's uh, made that decision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think okay. So the the biggest thing that's changed because he played before lockdown is the pay cut, and I don't think I'm ready to level at the club that they're not playing him because of the pay cut, but they might be. But I think yeah. you just got to try and in your fan in your fan in your head as a fan, uh, put your head in the ceiling, fan. Uh, you've got <laughs> <laughs> when you're thinking about this because it's the only thing that makes sense. If I'm being completely honest, it doesn't really make sense to me. We lack creativity in so many games. There are so many games a creative player could play. Admittedly, if we persist and Arteta is not going to move from this three-four-three formation. There's no room in there for Meza Ozil. There just isn't. And he's never been a good sub off the bench. That's, that's, I'd, I actually can't think of a single performance where Ozil came off the bench to change it. He's just not, not that cool, sort of player. He's not an impact player. He'll win you a game over 90 minutes as opposed to in 20. Um, but he hasn't done that in a long time. You know, his last sort of goal involvement of any note was his, the last game before lockdown against West Ham. Um, I just don't think he's giving us on the pitch what 350k gives you, but I don't know. It's 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 unbelievable, isn't it, that he's not even got a chance to play. I still yeah. think what I said about the Europa League, Premier League squad, again, this is where I go, okay, I just don't know. I think Ozil should have been in the squad ahead of pick a senior player who played tonight. Um so he gets minutes because why not? Why not? Yeah. Six games a year. I think he can still play in the Carabao Cup, maybe. But then it's City, so would you? And I don't even know <laughs> if we have to register him in the FA Cup. So he probably won't put on the shirt again. And it's it's a bit rubbish, really, because I remember how thrilled I was the day he announced that extension and Aubameyang signed and Mkhitaryan signed and it was just the no Mkhitaryan had already signed sorry it was just so exciting and it really hasn't lived up to it no it really hasn't um and I, I've I've been sort of texted by numerous people about that whole situation and one, one person who texted me last night was my cousin who asked me what I thought about the whole Ozil situation and I said to him that no one looks good in this scenario. It, Arsenal don't look good because ultimately it was them that made the decision to give him that um, obscene contract. And ultimately it's not Ozil's fault that Arsenal offered to pay him that money. 
but Ozil also doesn't look good because from a professional footballer standpoint, presumably you want to play football. And he's shown himself throughout this that he's he's more than happy to sit on his paycheck and, and not play football, which I suppose you can't really blame him when you're on that sort of money. But a big part of me just thinks surely you would have wanted to engineer a move, even if it was on loan, with part of your wages being paid by Arsenal just just so you can play football. But I don't, I don't know. I, it's such a difficult situation to comment on without knowing what's gone on behind the scenes because I think it's quite clear that something has and we're probably never going to be savvy to that information. So, so and yeah, I think one of those situations. What you just said is summarised in the line, there are just no winners here. There just aren't. No one wins. No one. You know... The only positive is it stops the conversation at the end of an Arteta press conference. It doesn't stop the fact that we're bored watching Arsenal and one of the most entertaining players to watch isn't even allowed to play. (laughs) Um, So it's a great shame, but hopefully in two months we'll be able to to shift him out. But actually him tweeting today was just a bit sad and rubbish. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. He was sort of commenting. I did see it. I did see it. Doing a poll afterwards. And, you know, he just like, oh. Measure that is just a bit sad, really. But then I saw um saw like a training video from the other day, and he was in it. Like he's still he's still training with the first team and things, which I I find that bizarre. Um, that he would be even <laughs> even considered. Surely, if it, you're not going to include him, you, you, do you really want him in and around the first team? If you if you're not going to include him, I guess you have to. But I guess here's my big question: if you could put him in the squad. Would you? And either way, uh, tell me who he'd replace, whether you think he should or not. God, that's a good question. That is a great question. Um, I think the fact he's still at the club, personally, I would have him in the squad in some capacity. Um, but Premier League squad as well? All, all squads? I, I, yeah, I would have him in, in the Premier League squads. And I'm looking at... Uh, one of our fifteen hundred centre backs that we've got, and thinking that maybe one of those should 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 maybe miss out. But um, it's difficult because you look at the way we're playing, and like you said, there there isn't there isn't space for him unless you go to a four three three with Ozil playing as the attacking midfielder. Um, it, it doesn't quite work. So I'm not I'm not really sure sure if there is a way that you would play it. I, this is such a bumbling answer because I just I don't have an answer. <laughs> Go on. Okay, okay. I I um as I said, I would have had him in the Europa League squad and I'd have probably taken out Aubameyang. Yeah. <laughs> the man who just scored the winner in a game we weren't going to win without him. That's the one I'd remove. Just shows you what I know. Um I would I probably would have him in the squad and I'd probably take out Suarez. I know you can't, right? Yeah. This is one of the... Or, or Pablo Marie. If Marie isn't going to be fit, I think you've got another registration window in January. Yeah, you do. So I'd have... Marie, I don't know how far off he is, but I'd have said, right, you take the time, get fit. Or Cedric Suarez, you know, we shouldn't have signed you, so sorry. <laughs> Maitland-Niles. <laughs> imagine imagine <laughs> that conversation. It's just like, we signed you permanently a couple of months ago, but... It's not quite working out, Cedric. It's not going how we thought it would, so you're out. And if you're asking me, would I rather Meza Ozil was in the squad as an option, despite Mikel Arteta having to answer a question that's legitimate, I would rather Ozil was in the squad ahead of 
a right back who could in, be argued is a third choice right back. Um, or at least you can get by without him. Because it's bizarre. All my instinct wants to say Kolasinac, but then he does enough. He, he offers more than Cedric to the squad. Um, yeah, just because he can play in that left wing back or left back hybrid role. And there's yeah. no one else who can do it other than Tierney and you need rest. and So that there's a benefit there. But, yeah, I'd rather Mesut Ozil, if he's at the club, should be in the squad. But I, I get I get it, but I'd have, I'd personally have him in. But I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think the fact that both of us has given an answer there and both of us have taken quite a long time to get to our to answer. To say nothing. To say nothing. <laughs> uh, kind of summarises the conundrum that Arsenal Football Club are in. <laughs> yeah, and it all comes back to, I would say... Be excited that we're being this ruthless. That's the message. Whether you like the decision or not, be excited that the club's being ruthless and is saying we're not going to accept stuff like this any longer. And you look at the signing of Party and you look at the signing of Gabriel and say, yes, that's more of what we want. And that's just the only way you can find pure positivity here, I think. That sounded like you were a mouthpiece for Josh Cronkey. <laughs> be excited. <laughs> I would say be excited. <laughs> Go Rams. Um... <laughs> oh, dear. Well, no, I think um, thank you. I thought you were going to say thank you for making me feel so positive and leaving me on a positive note because you've brought down the tone of the podcast. But fine, you know, you can call me Josh Cronkey if that makes you feel better. <laughs> uh, yeah it does in that circumstance it did make me feel better um, but but no uh, <laughs> as always a controversial ending to the podcast <laughs> absolutely absolutely okay so I think that kind of summarises everything that's been happening at Arsenal Football Club in the in the last uh, probably 10 days or so thank you very much to everyone who has listened to this podcast and if you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram by searching for The Boys in Red and White podcast. Um, we also have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com if you'd like to see what we're up to on there. So thank you, Mr. Grayson, for your time as always. It's been a pleasure. Thank you as always. A, a rapid podcast for a rapid victory. <laughs> How long have you had that one lined up? <laughs> I just thought of it, which is why my intonation was all wrong. Uh, I'd love to say record it again, but it's the end of the podcast. So a pleasure to talk to you as always, Mr. Dow. Okay, and we'll be back with another podcast very, very soon. Thank you. Goodbye.